The 243rd edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win! 54 to 53! North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, throw away to Worthy! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout! Technical foul! Technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout! And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gaggum champion. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it! Caleb from straight away! Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. we got a lot to talk about. Um, given some comments made by former Carolina basketball players... An article that was written by a guy that you hear on this podcast very frequently, Brendan Marks, about the state of the Carolina basketball program as of as of today with the offseason in full effect. Six players have transferred out of the program. Carolina has landed one. So we're going to talk about the state of the program as we see it today. But before we do any of that, we start every edition of the pod as we always do with our pod thought of the day, which is brought to you by DraftKings. And we go to a guy by the name of Christopher Reeve, and the quote is, A hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. And, you know, when I when I found that quote, um, the the first guy that that really came to my mind um, was Eric Montross. He was a hero of the nineteen ninety three national championship team, an All American at Carolina, and he's now the radio analyst uh, for the Tar Heel Sports Network. You hear him breaking down Carolina basketball year in, year out, year out, and on Sunday. We got some we got some hard news about the guy that we've now come to know as Big Grits. Um, as the Carolina basketball account did acknowledge a report that we had kind of seen surface before earlier in the day that um that 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 Montross has liver cancer and he underwent and has started treatments this week. And it was um it, it was it was a hard thing to to read, and it was a, it was a really a hard thing to acknowledge as as reality because you know it's it's just it's always scary no matter who it is when you find out that someone has cancer. You know we, we even though we are a Carolina basketball podcast, we do play 
Jimmy V audio every year when they when ESPN does the Jimmy V week and all that they do to raise money uh, for cancer research. And when it's one of your own, you know, it, it, it always hits a little bit different. And, you know, for me, growing up in a family that didn't have cable for, you know, quite some time, my, my Carolina basketball experience was through the radio. I'm the rare 26-year-old that can connect with old Carolina fans that, you know, there were nights during, the, you know, for many a years that I hovered around my radio for two hours a night and, and listened to Woody Durham and now Jones Angel call Carolina basketball games. And the one constant um, in those broadcasts has been Eric Montross. And so, you know, for a, for a kid that, that grew up listening to a man break down a program and talk about a team and a sport he loves, when this news came across, um, it was it was a it, it was really difficult. Um, but the thing that has been so beautiful to watch isn't just the Carolina basketball community rallying around Montrose, not even the local ACC community. It's just been the basketball community in general. Guys that covered the game when Montrose was a player at Carolina. Guys that still cover it now when they run into him at the Smith Center or wherever he's broadcasting a game. Of course, he spent some time in the NBA, seeing people from the NBA side of things you know, reach out and, 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 let, and let him know that everyone's thinking about him, praying for him, and supporting him as he goes, uh, as, as he starts his battle with cancer. And, um, you know, we, we didn't talk about it in in the last edition of the pod, and part of that was my fault. It was also just kind of a, a really difficult thing to kind of sandwich in while you're, we were talking about what we were talking about. But we wanted to set aside some time here to to let him know that we're thinking about him um, and, and that, you know, we we have his back as he starts as he starts this battle. And, you know, it's our hope and prayer that, you know, when, when the 2023-2024 season does kick off in November, that he'll be alongside Jones Angel on Media Row, breaking down Carolina basketball as he does so well. Yeah, I mean, the, clearly the most important thing is is for him to get to a point where he is healthy enough to be back on the sidelines before um, – you know, we we officially start talking about that. But I mean, here's the thing. I I, I think I, I believe that we will see him on those sidelines once again. Um, you know, for for him, I it, I just hate it. And it's it's almost made worse by the fact that he did so much for cancer research, working with the UNC Children's Hospital. Um, you know, he's he's been so generous with uh, everything that he's done, you know, when he was on campus and in, in, or, you know, when he was, um, you know, still, yeah, when he was still on campus in 1994, he started uh, the Eric Montross Father's Day basketball camp. Um, and that helped raise money for the UNC Children's Hospital. Um, it, it's just... He was. He's a guy that has been around this program for just about as long as anybody at this point. In terms of people that are, are you know, day to day type of people, broadcasters for sure. Um, and you know, it's amazing how he's been able to go from being with 
Woody Durham to eventually, you know, being with, with Jones Angel and everything has seemed to flow extremely well. He's a guy that, you know, has been so honest as an analyst. He's, he's not someone that's going to sugarcoat things. And I think that's something that all of us Tar Heel fans really appreciate. Um, I, I, it's just it's it's for now. Um, it's it's a monumental loss on the broadcast. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, this is something that um, he is able to, you know, beat and, and, and get back on those sidelines. You know, we all want that for sure. Um, and, you know, wishing the best for him and his family at this point. And uh, for him, I think the thing that you know, us Toriel fans would want him to know is that we have his back and anything that we can do to help him, to help his family. Um, I think Toriel fans will agree with me that they're willing to do anything uh, at this point for a guy that has done so much for this university, so much for this basketball program. Um, and it's one that, that definitely hits this fan base hard for, uh, you know, a, a, a program that, you know, it was going through a lot of uncertainty. This is, you know, the next level of that in terms of uncertainty. And um, I, I think at this time, you know, the best thing you can do if you're a praying person, um, you know, as, as, as Woody would say, go where you go and do what you do. Um, and, you know, I, I think at this point, the thing is, is just, you know, if, if you can reach out to his family and let them know that you're thinking about him in this time of need. And uh, we, we believe, you know, Eric, if, if you're by some miracle listening to this, that you will be back on those sidelines one day. You will be calling Tar Heel basketball again one day. And we look forward to that day. Yeah, that is all of our hopes and dreams and wishes that, you know, he, he comes out of this. Um, he, that, that, that he beats this terrible disease that, that he takes away too many countless lives on a, you know, day in and day out basis. And hopefully next year we get to hear him alongside arguably now his best friend, Jones Angel, doing the things that they do, that, that doing the things that they love to do, which is called Carolina basketball games. And so with that, we'll dive into what we're, what we're here for today and, um, you know, this was this was going to be a conversation at some point, and this still may be something that we we talk about in another month when some things, some more transactions transpire. But you know, given you know six uh, transfers out of the program after a year where you start preseason number one and you miss the tournament, you you decide to effectively just skip the NIT and start the rebuilding process. You know, you got to have a state of the union, state of the state of the program type of thing. And um, the the thing about th this year is that because Carolina is Carolina, and because unlike Duke, our former players care about the program and what's going on, it's not just the immediate players and um, coaches that have thoughts and feelings about what went wrong this year. There's a lot of, you know, reputable Carolina alumni that have thoughts and feelings. And, you know, they've they've taken the last couple of weeks to really express them. And, and none more more notably than Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. Um, they got together. Vince Carter has a podcast. Uh, it's called The VC Show. Um, and, and they got together to kind of to kind of talk about where Carolina is right now after the season that 
they are they they are coming off of and a season that when you know now puts a lot of pressure on Hubert Davis to to perform and perform at a high level uh next year. And so what I want to do is bring some audio to light for some of y'all that, you know, probably in case you haven't heard this, um, it's been on social media now for, you know, roughly four or five days. And we'll start with Antoine Jameson saying that this generation doesn't have the will to win. The one thing, especially in my profession, what I see now is the feel for the game is not there. Imagine all the open runs that we had. Vince, I went there the first day they was able to, to uh, practice or just, uh, just uh, you know, go up play, just oh, play, play, pick up. Pick up. So they played that day, and I had the boys with me, and I said, well, i see you guys tomorrow. Y'all going to play again tomorrow, right? They were like, nah, we scheduled to play next week. I was like, huh? So for us – we got a basketball scholarship to go to the University of North Carolina. Of course, don't get me wrong, school, whatever other kind of things you got going on. But, Vince, we play every single day. And I think the problem that we're dealing with is these guys have these guys that can – everybody can work out. Everybody can do between the legs. Everybody can do all this other stuff. But the feel for the game, the chemistry, the competitiveness is kind of like taking a step back, I think. It's it's really it's it's such it's such a hard thing to really re- respond to because you're you're talking about a core that was so close to winning a national championship just a year ago, but I also I also don't think that he's wrong either because I think the thing that was just so evident about this year's team is unlike other teams that have been on the same type of mission, there was just never this this desire to do what you got to do to to win games and uh, a, a, a unwillingness to sacrifice their body. There was just this hesitation to to do all the little things and and that was the thing about that run in 2017. Like, I, I never once looked at them on the court and questioned their effort, their energy, their toughness, their desire. And, you know, I think we all thought after last year when they made the run to the national title game, all that was gone. And, you know, you go back through the first couple of the games and, you know, Carolina was struggling and we kind of just chalked it up as, you know, well, they were just struggling to adjusting to playing with pressure. You said as far as maybe they were too scared to lose. And I think, you know, if we were to go back and look at those games now and look at the body language and, and all those types of things, this team just wasn't emotionally invested on the court or off the court to do what what was expected of them, which was to at least get back to the Final Four and have a chance to to win a national championship. And so, you know, I, I know a lot of people get so frustrated when they hear older players talk about this generation of basketball player because they are just a completely different player. Um, yeah, they might be more skilled, more athletic, more talented, but I also think that some of these players don't have the heart that an Antoine Jameson, a Vince Carter had back in their day. And, 
You know, even though this was a core that that got us really close to hanging a banner a year ago, when you look at it in full this year, um, it, it's 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 not it's not wrong to say that Antoine Jameson isn't right about this team not having the will to win that the way that you need to to win at a high level here at Carolina. Well, I think you know honestly, it's more of a conversation just about the generation of kids that are coming up through the ranks of high school basketball, AAU ball. And, I, I mean, that's where I think it's it starts to get into a little bit of a tricky area because, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's just – it is definitely a much different time period. Um, I think there – you know, there's still going to be questions about how COVID sort of affected – a lot of these kids' mindsets because you had a period of time for the better part of three or four months where you didn't really know when the next time you were going to be able to play basketball with others was. Um, so it's it, it's it really is that that talk about the generation. And for us, I mean, we we look like complete jackasses if we're going to really make a full dive into this and start complaining about kids that just don't care. I mean, you got to think these kids are there. There are kids we'll, we'll be talking about that are four years younger than us. Five. I mean, the max is eight years at this point. So, I mean, we're it's I don't know if we're considered a part of that generation but we're not far removed from it. And so I I just, to me, the most shocking thing is that with this team, it's what you talked about. And what I think we've talked about a lot here lately, which is that this just did not seem like a team that was ready to move on at any point in the season from what they did last year. It looked like a team that, really just wanted to stay in the past and live off of what they had done there, which, I mean, look, is is fine. If you were going to do that, though, the question for a lot of these guys is why did you come back? That That's the honest question, because if you felt like that was as far as you could go, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think there were guys – in that locker room that probably knew that, that knew we we probably are not going further than we did a year ago. Um, there are some guys that said, hey, we came within a rebound of, of winning the national championship. I think that's also true. I think there are guys that did believe that. But that's where I think you, you, you probably had some of the locker room divide was there were more, there were certain guys in that locker room that believed that this team was destined to win a national championship. They could turn it on whatever they wanted to um, while probably in the back of their minds believing, yeah, I came back, but I don't really know if it's possible. And when things started going wrong early in the year, Probably a little bit of I told you so, and that probably was what created some of the butting of heads in that locker room. Um, you know, I think the other thing that the, the other group was a group that was motivated to try to get back and to this time complete the mission. And I think there 
was frustrations that grew out of that when they realized that one, some of their teammates were not on the same page with them. And two, there were way too many flaws with this team to be able to get back there. And I think that's probably what ultimately created two sides of the locker room where there's some things that happened off the court. We'll have no, we ultimately have no idea. We'll never have any idea. But I think the the differing mindsets, that's the thing that this team has to get ironed out moving forward, is you have to have guys that are on the same page. You have to have a group that is motivated to prove something. And you would hope that with the conversations that Hubert Davis has had, that he's seen that from the guys that he is keeping around on this roster, that there are the, that, that those guys, the three that have already committed to coming back and the other guys that at this point, I mean, maybe they'll enter. There, there are still guys thinking about possibly entering, but it seems likely that the guys that have remained quiet on their futures are probably coming back. You would hope that they, in their mind, are going in with the mindset of trying to restore things back to what we're used to at Carolina and realizing that, hey, we're going to have to fight moving forward. Targets off your back. You, you clearly couldn't handle having the target off your back. Well, now you got to come out with that same mindset that you had it last year in the final, you know, four five weeks of the season. And you've got to be able to carry that through the course of a season. It'll be interesting to see, you know, with with some of these guys out of the locker room. Um, I mean, you're talking about eight guys from this year's roster that are no longer with the team, if that mindset does change or if this is a deeper issue. Yeah, the the next piece of audio I want to play is a kind of a combination of uh, Jamison and Carter talking about how this team just couldn't handle going from being the hunter to the hunted. And you know how that Duke-Carolina game, I remember the game at Duke, and I remember the ball just rolling on the floor. And I'm just like, nobody's diving for loose. That's a Duke-Carolina game. And I love the guys. I think, you know, we just got to the point we got complacent and we felt like it was going to be as easy as it was. Because we caught fire at the right time of the season. So I think they thought that Mm -hmm. we could just carry that over. But as you know, other teams are like preseason number one. I mean, they they're they the hunters going at the hunters it. anymore. They were the hunters, and we never Correct. we never counteracted. And I talked to Hubert, and he was like, "Tuan, this is a different team." He said, "This is a, this is a totally different team than what I had last year." He said, "They got to worry about other, you know, things outside of basketball." You know, I I kind of want to I want to go back to, you know, the whole conversation about. Them playing pickup and they, you know, asking if they were going to be there tomorrow. And they said that they were scheduled to play the next week. And and when this was, you know, mentioned to Hubert, Hubert said, you know, this is this is just a completely different team. And and if, if I'm making excuses, I mean, feel free to tell me. Now that, you know, we've gone through the season and we've heard the messaging, I think I think Hubert knew the second they they came back after they went away after the season came to an end. We went through the decisions for everyone to to decide that who was coming back and whatnot, and they all came back. They all released videos. 
You add Pete Nance in the transfer portal. I think Hubert Davis knew internally whatever happened when they went away, they weren't the same kids when they came back home. Whether it was just a positive, you know, all the way that they were celebrated, and, you know, we played a part in that, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel bad about it because, you know, I thought to a certain degree with all that they did, you know, they, they, they deserve to be loved and celebrated the way that we did. And so, you know, I, I just think Hubert knew in the in the summertime, I mean, I'm not going to say that, you know, he knew they were screwed, but I, I think I think there was just some worry that, you know, all the off-the-court fame and stuff like that had already just, you know, you know filtered through the program was going to be a distraction. Playing pickup in the summer at Carolina is a non-negotiable. It's a requirement. And, you know, so if, if that's the messaging that you're that, that's being communicated, and I've kind of said this since the season came to an end, I just feel like as much as we maybe thought these were Carolina guys last year, maybe these weren't Carolina guys, and they aren't Carolina guys, and that's why you're seeing so many of them leave. Like the one that I could look at and identify as that's a Carolina guy was Puff Johnson because his brother played here. Um, it was a big-time player for us. And then, you know, you just look at the way Puff played, it kind of resonated with the core values of of the program. And so, you know, like the, to me, that's just very – that's very eye-opening. Um, and I think it just kind of shows kind of just the, the, the level of commitment, not really to the game, but to – but to the program, because NBA players look forward to that every summer. Like, that's one of the highlights. And then if you hear NBA players talk because of how long their regular season is, they cherish their offseason because it's so short because their season's a marathon. And even for those guys that get done playing 82 games over, you know, six, seven months, let alone if you make the NBA playoffs or whatever – Still, for most of them, the highlight of their offseason is going back to Chapel Hill to work out, train, and play pickup with former play, you know, with, with former teammates, current NBA players, and all this other stuff. And how many, how many Carolina greats talk about how those pickup games is the most important part of their summer, where they learn a thing or two, they they develop a thing or two because they're working with current or former pros. And stuff like that. I know Joel Berry quote tweeted this and made some, you know, had some things to say about it. Uh, Marcus Page was very open about it during his time at Carolina. How important the summer the summers were. You know, Bryce Johnson talked about Tyler Hansborough kicking his butt, even though he was into his thirties by that point, and, and stuff like that. And so, like, I'm sure for Hubert, that was probably the first telltale sign that, oh crap, something ain't right here, and. There was really nothing you could do about it. Like, you know, I think at that point you were just hoping and praying that they would just turn on a switch and it would all come together. But, you know, when when that when that type of stuff is out there and that's being communicated to, to the public, that's not a good look for a locker room that three months prior to that release video saying they were all in to do whatever it took to win a national championship fast forward to the summer and they're skipping, you know, time with former players, current and former pros to be off doing God knows what instead of being in the gym perfecting their craft. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
I mean, we can all probably imagine what what it is. I mean, in this era of the NIL, I, I think I, I you know that that probably plays a little bit of a role. And I mean, those guys brought that up, Vince and and Antoine talking about it about how this is a different time with that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing. It's, it's about trying to get guys refocused. I mean, the NIL stuff, it is what it is. Like, we get it. We we know that, you know, these guys, I mean, we've been saying it for years. These guys do deserve to get paid. Um, it's just a lot of different stuff that is going on on top of being a college student, college athlete. Um, it puts a lot on these guys' plates. And you know, I don't know if that's necessarily what this was. I got to be honest. I think when you look at this, the thing that you really need to talk about more than anything, and it's still a concern because of, you know, two of the guys that were upperclassmen that are coming back, including one that w- was maybe looked at as the biggest leader on the team this past year. I, I How good was the leadership on this team? The fact that you, that nobody – stepped up and said, look, we've got to go out there and, and we, we have to practice more. We, we, we can't just decide we're going to take, uh, you know, a week or, you know, a, a week, five days, however long it was off. Like that just that just cannot happen. And, you know, the, these guys, you know, are coming back next year, Armando and RJ. Well, that needs to be one of the main things that they're focused on is trying to push this group um, to, you know, want to be better, to want to be out there as often as possible. And that's the thing. The the time that we're talking about here in the summer, it is player-led. It cannot be coached at all. If it is, you will have punishments levied by the NCAA. We've heard how important these are in in, in basketball. I mean, we've heard how important they are in football. As well, it's huge determining factors. There are, you know, stuff that is that that they see out there that the leadership group uh, on each team comes back and says to the coaches reflects heavily. Um, it, it, it can be the difference between a guy playing a role on a team and you know being a guy that's that's just a depth piece. So that's the thing. You you want to see some more motivation out of these guys and. You know, I I think this year you'll you'll see some guys that'll step up. You'll you'll see a group that you know wants to be out there as often as possible. If anything, because some of these guys you know are going to be new to the program, they're going to want to come out there and prove something. So, I think that's going to be you know one of the interesting things uh, to to really keep an eye on. Uh, this offseason and 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 who knows you know maybe we'll see you know one of the players on the team after the summer sort of respond to that and 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 say look we had a much better summer this year than we did a year ago maybe Hubert will even bring that up I think you know it is somewhat honorable that Hubert didn't want to come out and say something about that you know before the season I think it was more of the fact that he was just kind of hoping and praying that this was a team that would just kind of wake up and realize, hey, we got to start pushing, even if it was, you know, them sort of struggling a little bit early on. Maybe they would finally settle into a rhythm. But it shows just how important the offseason is. If you don't do the right things in the offseason, you are not going to be a good team in the regular season 
Uh, and it's it could hurt your chances to even make the postseason. Um, that's kind of what I wonder with this team was, again, you go back to the nature of them feeling like they could just potentially turn it on. And, and I think there is no doubt that some guys had that mindset in the locker room because I know there were a heck of a lot of fans that were thinking that way for the majority of the season. Hell, to a certain extent, there were times where we felt like that, um, especially towards the end of the year. We felt like, hey, you know, if this team, you know, can get healthy enough with RJ's thing, you know, finger injury, um, then Armando with the, you know, ankle injuries. Um, we, we felt like if, if Pete Nance can get in a rhythm and it looked like there was a time where he was potentially starting uh, to, you know, Get, get himself together on the offensive end of the floor. We felt we kept trying to convince ourselves that eventually it would work. And it didn't. And I think that was that was something that a lot of the locker room was hoping. And when it didn't go that way, I think there were some guys that were crushed. There were other guys that were probably still saying, hey, look what we did the year before. And, you know, that's the mindset that they've got to get out of the locker room. You can't keep living off of those moments. Those are great memories. Those are how the guys should be remembered when they eventually leave campus. But you want to add new memories. You don't want this to be, you know, that the, the lasting memory. And then from there, everything went downhill. So I, I, I think you, it's just it is all about the motivation for this team this year. And it's got to start in those summer practices uh, that seem to be optional at times last year. Well, the, the the thing that is you still, you still failed in, in the ultimate goal. Like you, you still didn't win a national championship, like playing for national titles. It's not good enough. Like if, if you want to just be brutally honest, it's not, it's not good enough here. You know, other other programs. If you play for a national championship, you're you know you're gonna you're 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 a god, and they'll still build a statue, and you know stuff like that. This you know the team will be remembered for who they beat and how and how they beat them on their way to a national title game, um, but they still lost 36 hours later, and um, for whatever reason. That wasn't enough to to motivate them all summer long to to correct the wrong, um, and that was just really, I mean, it's not even heartbreaking. It was just it was just plain frustrating, watching a team not be not be so committed to winning that you know it it, it almost just felt like it did at times before the run last year and during Roy Williams's last year where you just felt disconnected from the team that you saw on the court the one thing i want to talk about is um you've now got i mean i'm not going to say that it's public i guess i'm not going to say it's public criticism of Hubert Davis i guess you could maybe call it public questioning of Hubert Davis um, from Vince Carter, Antoine Jameson. Um, the radio station we work at, Matt Doherty, appears on it every Wednesday. He's had his questions about, you know, this from, from the coaching perspective of Hubert Davis. And look, not that those types of guys are going to be, you know, they have the power to get him fired, 
But it's definitely not a good thing where it's just so, you know, out there that former players that have the reputations that Jameson and Vince Carter have, you know, you've got Matt Doherty and, you know, even though he what he was a failed coach, he was still a former player. He won a national championship. He ha- he still has cachet whenever he talks with within the program. And I think you, what you got to go back to is as much as Roy Williams wanted Hubert Davis to be this program's head coach, and it's his decision. And whenever they decide to, if, if they were to move on from him, it wouldn't happen without Roy Williams giving it the okay or whatever. There was a lot of pull from the Carolina family for Wes Miller to get the job. Um, I was on the record wanting him to get the job. He was he was my number one choice. And I'm not here to have a Hubert versus Wes Miller conversation. We're not I'm not in the business of firing Hubert Davis. But from the position that Hubert Davis is sitting in right now, this doesn't make his job any easier. If anything, it only adds more pressure to hush the critics that exist within the family. And it's not wrong for former players to speak out. It's what Coach Smith wanted. It's their program. It's their job. He wants them to take care of it. And now with you know podcasting and the media platform being what it is, all these players have a voice and they have a say, and it's going to get out there. And so I think what I what I hope this does is just motivate him even more to spend more time in the film room to to be more committed to be more assertive to be to be a better coach next year and that way maybe this time next year we're we're singing the praises of him instead of having former players question him articles being written about him and all this stuff but you know just on the surface. Because if 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 Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter are are saying these types of things, of course, you know, we hear Matt Doherty every every Wednesday as well. That means they're more out there. You know, they, they wouldn't just be out here offering this into the ether if there wasn't some sort of conversation going on that maybe we haven't seen been made public. And you know, that type of stuff can wear on wear on a coach as especially at a program as as family oriented as this one and he's one of our own and we're going to love him and we're going to take care of him, but the family wants to win. And and so it it doesn't make the job any easier for a a second year head coach who's coming off a disappointing year, but we also have to sit back and remind ourselves he's still learning as he goes. This guy wasn't groomed from the moment he became an, uh, he became an assistant on Roy Williams staff to be a head coach to be the head coach. It was maybe in the thought process, but I don't believe when Roy Williams hired him, he thought he would he would be out coaching as quickly as he was, even though it was, you know, roughly a decade after he hired him that Hubert Davis transitioned into becoming Carolina's head coach. And so um it, it's just it's just another example, another I guess I guess just another point uh, of just where this basketball program is right now where this time a year ago we were feeling very good about where the program was and where the program was going fast forward a year later it feels like the program is 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 kind of on shaky ground and you know there are going to be former players that won't be afraid to voice their opinion and displeasure with that being the case 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I put them in the same category as as the the people that we've seen on there just criticizing Hubert. Um, again, if if you think that it's to a point where he should be on the hot seat or he should be gone, I just caution you. Remember, I, I just caution you to remember that if you make this move. One of two things is going to happen. One, you will probably never see Hubert Davis ever again. That that will probably be it. Because as we've seen, you know, Matt Doherty wasn't around in the social media era. Now, if he was, probably a much different relationship with the university. If things get bad enough with Hubert Davis, um, there, there will be just some of the most disgusting things that you will ever see that will be posted on social media. Um, so, I, I mean, that's, again, that's that's the risk that you run. And second, you know, if you go ahead and make this move, especially if you do it without consulting Roy Williams, you are basically spitting in the face of one of the greatest basketball coaches in the history of in, in the history of the sport and probably one of the best college coaches in the history of any sport. Um, so again, it's, it, it's, you, you need to caution people that have this mindset. This is the same bull crap that we dealt with when Roy was here, where a, every, every time that somebody had a chance to take a shot at Roy late in his career, they decided to and basically said that he wasn't a, a good enough coach. And this was before Carolina made their run to a national title in 2017. Um, so again, I, folks do not understand. Take the, the first-time head coach out of it for just a second. People don't understand how hard of a job this really is. This is probably the most pressure-packed job in college basketball one and it's probably right near the top of college sports altogether the demands of this fan base are at times unrealistic um because i think in in most people's minds they believe that this team should cut down the nets every single year no questions asked and that's i mean as we as we know with college sports especially college basketball um that just is not going to happen so i mean the thing is is you have to realize that there is a ton of pressure with that already on his shoulders there's going to be a ton of pressure on whoever takes over the job um if if he was to leave so it's it's hard to imagine that that person is just going to come in and everything is going to go 100% smoothly. And then, yes, you factor in the first-time head coach thing. And a lot of people are probably still mad that they decided to go with a guy like that. But look, Roy trusted him. Roy felt like he was the right guy for the job because he had seen whatever elements he needed to see in him to feel comfortable giving him the job. So again, as you said, it's a learn-on-the-fly type of scenario. And I go back to something I have said routinely, at least once a week on this podcast, for probably the last five or six weeks. He Hubert Davis is a first-time head coach at any level of college basketball. 
in the most difficult era in the history of college sports, where you are dealing with all of these different elements that you don't have anybody to go to to try to help you navigate through this based on their experiences. Nobody else has ever experienced this. You could try to ask Roy questions about this. Roy doesn't really know because even when Roy was there, NIL was not in place yet, and the transfer portal was existent, but it wasn't anywhere near as 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 crazy as it is now with the full free transfer rule. Um, and it's the same thing when you go back to all the previous coaches. So that's the thing. There are a lot of people that want to speak up about those th- these scenarios. Um, most of them are, are, are people that are outside of the program that want to speak up about, you know, what, what, what he's doing with the program overall, the fact that they decided not to go to the NIT tournament. But again, they don't realize that this is an era that nobody has ever been involved in. All these former coaches that have these grand ideas of what needs to be done, guys, it's, it. You're not in that. You're not in that seat right now. You have no idea. This is one of those times where, until you get coaches from this generation that eventually step away and retire and can tell you about what it's like to coach in this generation, it's going to be hard to judge these coaches. Um, and again, I know that a lot of people they say, look. We think that Hubert Davis probably gone after the season. Um, and and I've, I've already said this, and I will say this again. If they go outside of the Carolina family, most of the guys that are a part of the family that are former players, I will guarantee you will not support the move. They will not support the basketball program moving forward. There are a lot of things in – this day and age of college athletics, and co- especially at this point with college basketball, that you have to adjust to in terms of how you run your program. There are traditions that you have to adjust to. One tradition that Carolina should never adjust to is ditching the family aspect of your program to go out and find a coach that can win. If they go outside of the family, that would be the dumbest move that they could ever possibly make. I don't want anybody that was not a player, was not underneath a coach here, something like that. They have to be a part of the Carolina family. And the people that want Chris Beard, first of all, if you want Chris Beard, you need to reevaluate your life. You seriously do. Because that man is a pathetic human being. Uh, the fact that Ole Miss hired him, it shouldn't really shock us. But, yeah, that is that's that is one of the worst possible moves you could make as an athletic department. And any of the other guys, I don't give a rat's ass what their history is as a head coach. I don't want any of them anywhere near this program. So that's the thing. If you get rid of Huber Davis, it's going to be someone in the family. Come to terms with that. Where is the Roy Williams that is 
out there this time around? Because everybody says this is Matt Doherty 2.0. Well, who is Roy Williams 2.0? Because you're talking about Roy Williams, a guy that coached at one of the most prestigious programs right alongside Carolina at Kansas and took them to tremendous heights, just couldn't get over the hump with a title. I don't see any of the options that people are floating out there from inside the family that have come anywhere even remotely close to that. You're talking about guys that have barely, I mean, they've they made a couple of tournaments combined. I mean, I, that to me, not much of an accomplishment. So I don't really understand why people are just rushing to get to that point with Hubert Davis. They just... That you talk about the current generation that we're in. How about a generation that has absolutely no patience and it's driving me insane? Unfortunately, we're not going to stop looking at the state of Carolina basketball just from the perspective of Vince Carter and Antoine Jameson. Coming up next, we'll dive into Brennan Marks' article that he dropped on The Athletic, a behind-the-scenes look at how Carolina's season unraveled this past year that's coming up next right here on the Four Corners Pod, uh, Four Corners Podcast. Back after this message from DraftKings. The biggest tournament in college basketball is underway, and the action is just getting started on DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. Right now, new new customers can bet just five dollars on any pre-game money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings will be featuring parlays, parlays and odd boost all tournament long, so be sure to check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day to see what they have. Whether you're betting on the Sweet 16 action like UConn and Arkansas, or maybe, maybe in that Elite 8 matchup where the Final Four will be decided, you can do all that and so much more at DraftKings Sportsbook. Simply draft, uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code TBPN. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with that promo code TBPN. Minimum age and and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. We really hope you guys are taking full advantage of all these great offers we've been giving you here on the Four Corners Podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. The first thing I want to do is just commend Brendan Marks for putting out a well uh, a well written. Uh, a piece about a program that you know he covers and you know brendan is a guy that you know i bring on the pod pretty frequently um he's a former unc alumnus so you know you can tell he's a true professional and by the way he does his work and the way he talks about this team because he's not blinded by a love and a love and an admiration that he could have for him um, and this was the first thing I did when I got up today because I knew the article was going to be released. And so I woke up and and I read it. And um, like I said, it was a really good article. It wasn't anything, in my opinion, overly explosive, kind of just really more 
kind of just confirming more of of what we kind of knew was already existing within the program. But the show that that you produce on the station that we work at, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ in Charlotte, y'all brought him on this morning to give a little bit further insight into the program and um, one of the things he talked about, and I thought it was just it, it was really eye opening, and, and uh, felt like I, I, the, the listeners would listen, is that Hubert Davis um, lacks on court accountability. Hubert Davis very publicly, multiple times over the course of last summer, said, "I want to play my bench more. I want to develop talent. I want to have rotation." And he did couch that by saying it's up to the players. But at the end of the day, he said that these are goals of his. And then those goals did not materialize. Those goals were not achieved. And so I do think he deserves some blame for, be it lack of player development, be it lack of player opportunity, depending on who you ask. Um, I think certainly that is one thing. Another thing is on-court accountability. There was a stretch of seven games in February where Pete Nance went 2 of 23 from 3, shot under 30% from the field, had as many assists as he did turnovers, and yet he still started every game and played 28 minutes a night. You know, we talked all summer long about developing a bench, how important it was for Carolina to do just that. Like, I never once thought in my lifetime that they would play as few minutes as they did last year. And then they played fewer. And, you know, we saw guys have just season-long struggles Pete Nance, which was mentioned in the soundbite, Caleb Love, Leaky Black, you know, R.J. Davis's and Armando Baycott's, I think their struggles were really due more to health and by how all the other struggles around them just made the game so much harder for them to, to be the type of players that they were. But, you know, there were points in the stretches where they were two individually dominant basketball players. But Brendan isn't wrong, and that's the one area that Huber Davis has to grow in is he has got to come to a place where what he says goes and what if, if it's not being followed on the court, you don't see the court. Um, and I, I, I have a hard time believing that the players that were on the bench weren't good enough to play more than they did. Um, you know, I, I think Puff Johnson deserved more minutes. I thought Dontrez Styles deserved more minutes. You could sell me on any of the freshmen playing more. Um, I'm not going to complain about Justin McCoy because um, Justin McCoy isn't an ACC caliber basketball player. But that's like the one thing I look at when I look at Huber Davis as a head coach and say that's the biggest self-assessment he's got to do this offseason is he's got to come to a place with the title, which his title says head coach. It's not part-time. It's not assistant. It's not, you know, basketball of operations. He is the head coach. So what he says should go. And at some point he's got to become comfortable within his own skin telling them how to play basketball. And when they don't do things the way that he wants them done, there's got to be consequences. And I know we live in an era where the transfer portal gives kids an easy way out and kids quit. But the bench is there, and if the bench isn't a motivating factor for kids to play harder, to practice harder, to listen and do what they're being told, then that's just another 
that's just another example of of the the reality that you have the wrong kid in your program playing for you. And, and this is the biggest thing for himself as he talks about turning this program around and getting them where it wants to go. Yes, he's got to he's got to overhaul the roster. He's got to rebuild and restock the talent. But he's also got to do some stuff himself individually as a head coach. And the biggest one is being more committed to developing a bench and not even just November and December, in September, in October. He, he played for a coach that practiced those type of situations and scenarios. So you developed your bench in practice. That way, when they got in the game, they didn't feel out of sorts. More commitment to that and then just being a lot more willing to be an enforcer on the basketball court with his voice as opposed to letting his players dictate what and what is not going to happen on the basketball floor. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you kind of wonder with him now getting in more of, quote-unquote, his guys, if that is going to sort of come naturally. I, I wonder, you know, with these guys, to a certain extent, especially with the upperclassmen, did he feel like these were guys that didn't really look at him as head coach Hubert Davis, that looked at him as more of assistant coach Hubert Davis. I mean, there's no doubt that Brennan Marks is 100% right about this. This team needs to be, um, you know, a a little more strategic with how they play guys. Um, And and the other part of it is, is that you just have to hold guys accountable. Um, And this, you know, is something that really with the, two major programs on campus for Carolina. We've we've heard, you know, some we've heard both coaches talk about it before that they are going to hold players accountable and it doesn't seem to be happening. Hubert has to be able to do this moving forward. You have the talent behind these guys on the bench. And I get it, man. Caleb Love was one of those weird players where there were times where you felt like if you took him out of the game that you could be, especially in, in crucial moments, you could be missing a piece that could heat up and be what carries you offensively. Um, and in certain games where you just had nothing else really going offensively, especially later in the year when R.J. Davis was banged up, you kind of needed Caleb Love to be out there. And we talked about so many times – you need Caleb Love to start knocking some of these shots down. And they just they just didn't go down. Um, in terms of, like, the leaky black thing, I know there were a lot of people that wanted to see him off the court at times. Problem with that was, I mean, leaky black, you're talking about a guy that was m- one of the most elite defenders that you've ever had at Carolina in terms of just, you know, what he could do um, versatility-wise him as an individual defender in one-on-one situations. I mean, this dude was a, a, a huge key to what you did in 21-22. And then coming back this past year, you know, he, he still he had some moments where he wasn't nearly as dominant, for the, but, but for the most part, you know, we had the conversation at the end of the season about him getting snubbed when it came to – taking home the ACC Defensive Player of the Year Award. We thought that should have gone to him. Um, the one that I think a lot of people, you know, Caleb Love, how how many minutes he played, a lot of people are frustrated with that. But Pete Nance is the one that a lot of people 
um, are, are really angry with. And I, I mean, look, there are some people that have brought up with Puff Johnson. How much better really was Puff Johnson? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair argument. I don't think Puff Johnson was going to come in there and light it up. But I think in terms of, you know, just the fit for the position, I think he probably fit what Huber wanted to do a little bit better. Um, the biggest issue for him was that he just wasn't available um, more often than not. So it's it's one of those situations where moving forward, I feel like this is this had to be a learning experience for Hubert Davis. There's just no way around it. If it's if if it was not, then he's going to ultimately fail. Uh, but if this is a learning experience, you're going to see some depth on this bench, and you're going to see him use it a lot more. I think the thing was last year, remember that early in the season, there was quietly some decent depth there, and they were they were looking to develop more guys there as well. Um, they just didn't have Puff Johnson because he was, he was out with the injury. But they had, remember, Dawson Garcia was a starter, so Brady Manick was coming off the bench. And you also had Anthony Harris, who played quite a bit early in the year before he had the academic issues. And so I feel like they were trying to develop depth, but once they, you know, lost Garcia to the transfer portal and Harris um, you know, was deemed ineligible for the rest of the season, Carolina kind of went to that six-man rotation once Puff was fully healthy, and they just lived with it. And it worked, and I wonder if, Hubert kind of got stuck in his ways where, you know, early in the year we saw him try some things with some of the guys that he, he was throwing out there. But you saw, especially after they got into conference play, he really started to shorten that bench again. And you wonder if he just thought in his mind, I can sort of recreate what we did a year ago. I have this core group here. Uh, you know, let's let's plug in another guy or two. He was hoping that, you know, maybe somebody else would step up besides Puff off that bench and we'll just roll from there. But um, I, I think that along with what looked like an NBA mindset at times where there was no consistency night after night. It was all matchup based. That's the thing that I think he also has to get away from is trying to look at the matchups that you have in every game and base your rotation off of that. Um, I think what it is is he was just trying to match up well with teams on the defensive end of the floor where it, part of it is like, okay, I get what you're trying to do, but if you are having a team that is going to play um, four out, hey, man, there might be times where putting two bigs inside in certain situations may work better for you. So maybe you should have continued to play Jalen Washington more. Or um, you know, maybe there were there were certain games where there were two bigs, but maybe, you know, playing a three-guard lineup. We saw that at times uh earlier in the season where Carolina was shorthanded due to uh some injuries. Maybe that's a lineup that we should have seen more of late in the season where 
you know, look, those guys coming off the bench weren't exactly shooting great. I've said that multiple times when people try to tell me that there were these great solutions off the bench that would have made this team so much better. But maybe in a game like the Duke game where they really just packed it in the paint, uh, in the first Duke game where they really just packed it in the paint and made guys like Pete Nance and Leaky Black beat you and it wasn't working because those two guys were missing open shots, maybe you do throw someone else different in there. So I I think that's the thing that Hubert Davis has to learn, and he needs to find those consistent guys off the bench. He's now bringing in some of his guys. It's going to be, you know, on him if those guys aren't developed, if they're the wrong transfer guys. So that's the thing that he really has to develop, really even more so than the starting group moving forward. You know, the probably the biggest negative thing I took away from the article. Um, you know, I, I wasn't surprised that Caleb Love's dad wanted to make sure that his voice was in there and in and, and there quite often. There were some other parents with some quotes that, you know, weren't uh that they chose to remain anonymous. I think if we read between the lines and the messaging, you could probably imagine that's probably being Pup Johnson's father. And Dontre Styles' his parents, just because you know those were those were guys that were pretty vocal during the the process of not going to the NIT to begin with. The whole R.J. Davis getting mad that he wasn't named to the the Bob Cousy Award watch list in the preseason and was you know on the um, you know was on the Jerry West and then he was asked to be taken off the Jerry West was just really hard for me to fathom because of how much I love and admire and respect RJ. He's my favorite player on the team right now. But what it does is that it shows you just how off the mindset was from the very beginning, because those, those awards are rather meaningless. I mean, does it, do do they go a long way in terms of, getting your jersey retired and stuff like that, absolutely. But if you win a national championship, your jersey gets honored anyway because you hung a banner, and ultimately that's more important. And so um, hopefully when, you know, we get through this, this period of putting this roster together and stuff like that, we have our priorities in, in, in the right place. And the priority is winning basketball games. It's not about awards. It's not about individual accolades. It's not about any of that. All that stuff's meaningless. It doesn't matter. What matters is winning. And if Carolina wins, then I'm sure along the way, RJ will get the recognition he wants, along with all the other guys on the roster, because those, those things kind of – they kind of take care of themselves, you know, all, along the way, as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do on the court, which is playing at a high level, which results in wins. And so, you know, it's just um, it, it's just the reality of the situation where former Tar Heel players and then uh, a reporter that um, follows them and covers them as, as well as anybody in the country does – had just pretty much brought to light just how just how off this team was seemingly from the very beginning, and now we've got we've got a whole entire off season to make amends for all the things that went wrong uh, during last season. And so, um, with that, 
that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. But before we let you go, guys, we do encourage you to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where we're just pumping content out left and right. We've had you covered on every player that has exited the program through the transfer portal. Of course, we broke down Pax and Wojcik transferring in as well. There are other guys that Carolina are the, that they are involved in. Um, they are seemingly waiting on a commitment from Nick Timberlake, the Towson transfer. When that happens, we'll have you covered on that front. Spring football is still rolling on in Chapel Hill. Carolina was a finalist for a top quarterback prospect. All that and so much more. That's all That's all available for you at HealToughBlog.com. And as for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. We're on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss any additions throughout the basketball offseason. But with that, guys, it is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.